0: Welcome. I hope you're having a festive day. You are listening to Provisions and Libations, and I am your host, Robin Bogue, on the Mission Matters Podcast Network. Today's topic is Wine, Witch on Fire, and I have in with me Natalie McLean, and it is her memoir, and um, before I introduce her, I want to read to you um, her fabulous resume. As a lot of people know me, is you've been an idol of mine. I have followed you for probably twenty years now. You are who I want to be when I grow up. So um, <laughs>
1: <thank> <laughs> I'm you still trying fun. to grow up. So that, that's,
0: yes, uh, yes. We'll see. <laughs> I think we're all just. Striving for that. Natalie McLean, named the world's best drinks journalist at the World Food Media Awards, has also won four James Beard Foundation Journalism Awards. She's also the author of Red, White and Drunk All Over and Unquenchable. Her new memoir, Wine Witch on Fire, Rising from the Ashes of Divorce, Defamation, and Drinking Too Much, recently became a national bestseller. I have bought that, and I also was a beta reader, which was really fun and exciting. I'd never done that before. Uh, Natalie also hosts the New York Times recommended podcast Unreserved Wine Talk and offers popular online wine and food pairing classes at www.nataliemaclean.com. Welcome to Provisions and Libations.
1: It is great to be here with you, Robin. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Yes, you're welcome. And um, for a lot of listeners, that you are you in Canada today or are you in New York?
1: I am in Canada yes, Uh, Ottawa, Ontario today.
0: Very nice. Yes. So um, earlier this week, you had sent an email because I was a beta reader for your um, brand new memoir, and inviting all of us to events in Canada. And so that's when I reached out and said, Hey, would you like to be on the podcast? We've talked about it before? Is this a a good time for you? So um, I wish I could make those events. They sound like a lot of fun. And it just doesn't work in my schedule right now.
1: Oh, no worries. Um, later in November, in fact, November 9th, we'll be hosting an online wine tasting. So I hope you can join us for that and any of your listeners too, Robin, and your book club members. <laughs> yes,
0: I know yes. that we're going to do the book club. Hopefully we can read the book next year because we uh, already had our year lined out. And so um, our next meeting, I will propose this book. So oh,
1: awesome. There is a book club guide that goes with the book. So
0: Yes, I saw that. I was reviewing everything. So Wine Witch on Fire. Let's tell everybody, where did the title come from?
1: Well, you know, you might think from the title uh, Wine Witch on Fire that it's about an angry woman who drinks a lot of wine and owns a lot of cats, but (laughs) it's not. And it also has a lot of humor and A Happy Ending. Um, You've got all the dismal Ds in the title, the subtitle, I should say, Rising from the Ashes of Divorce, Defamation, and Drinking Too Much. Witches have always resonated with me because they got their power from within rather than external validation. And, you know, when I was growing up, all my favorite stories were always about witches. So The Wizard of Oz, Glinda the Good Witch, and of course, The Wicked Witch. I even love the straight up bad A uh, witch of Narnia. the white witch. Yeah, she was the white witch. Uh, And I was cackling along beside her. But of course, as as I grew up, I realized that some stereotypes of women can be damaging. And yet at the same time, Robin, I think it's time to take back what the word witch means. And for me, it's a wise woman who's been through the flames of life and come out on the other side, stronger, wiser, fiercer. And
0: that my story, I resonate with that. I've gone through a very challenging divorce myself, and yeah. so I was able to resonate with a lot of what you had written about. And mm-hmm. I do agree with that. Um, that it's it's fascinating for any woman to go through what they go through and and to continue. And um, like I said, when um, after reading the book, how brave you were to put all of that in writing and you know, to relive it, because as you've written it, now you're still reliving it. But you're also educating and guiding so many other people to just be done with it and keep going. And, you know, don't let that hold you back. Because not only with with your divorce, you had your industry come after you. And Mm -hmm. that's
1: Hard in <laughs> well, yeah. I call it um, my no good, terrible, very bad vintage because it started with my husband of 20 years at the beginning of the year asking for a divorce, which blindsided me, mm-hmm. and then it ended with this online mobbing from some rival writers. And so, and then in response to both events, the depression from the divorce, the anxiety from this online career thing. I started drinking too much, you know, and I had easy access to alcohol or wine specifically because I write about it. I drink for a living, if you will. So this is really the journey that I went through that year when I had to really, you know, fight for my son. I had to rebuild my reputation and my self worth. And I had to sort of get back to my own belief in second chances. So I call this wine witch on fire, a true coming of middle age story about transforming your life and finding love along the way.
0: Mm -hmm. And I love it. You did find love and he sounds like an amazing man. And that I'm just, I'm very happy for you that you. True love does exist. And so it does. Yeah. Yes. There's life after life. <laughs> yes. And, and it's everlasting and it keeps going and evolving. And it's, it's just wonderful. And that, like I said, you're, you're very brave for putting it all there and letting us read it and learn from it and know that, you know, we're all in this together and to keep going. So uh, kudos to you, first of all, so talking about it, I know um, because I was a beta reader, it took a long time for you to put it together. What was the process of writing the book for people who have thought about, you know, someone else who's gone through something tragic or something very difficult, and then they want to write about it so others can learn about it or just to kind of put it out there? What was Mm -hmm. the process of getting it from your mind and your soul onto the, the written
1: page? Well, first of all, lots of therapy <laughs> and uh, those sessions are in the book. As you know, Robin and people are, are early readers are really finding it helpful because they're like a fly on the wall with my therapist and me talking about how to deal with all these issues, you know, all of it, the divorce, the depression, the drinking, um, the anxiety from the mobbing. So, but when this first happened, it happened um, more than a decade ago, this terrible vintage. I actually had no intention. Of writing about it. I thought to do so would be to vandalize my own privacy. You know, over the course of five years, the story kept ricocheting around in my head until I finally thought I have to let this out, even if it's just a private exercise in writing it out so that I can make sense of what happened to me. Because as a writer, that's the way I make sense of the world. And then, as the years continued to go by, I thought, you know, I am hearing s- stories not just from within the wine industry, um, but from other women friends in high tech and finance and the military and sport who have very similar stories. The specifics, of course, are not the same, but the feelings, the themes, the issues are. And that's why I think that the issues and and in this book are more relevant today than they were even a decade ago. A lot has changed and yet we're still dealing with a lot. So I thought, well, you know, if I could write this story and if even just one person could feel less alone, it will be worth it. And so that's what I did. Uh, But I was terrified because, you know, I thought, what are the repercussions here, you know, from um, my ex-husband, from the online mobbers, you know, am I just going to stir up this hornet's nest? Mm -hmm. But in the end, there was no fallout, thank God, even though I, you know, put everything out there. But I think because I stuck to my story, my feelings, I didn't try to mind read anybody else's intentions. Or why they were doing what they were doing. I placed the responsibility squarely on my shoulders for my part in everything that happened. And then I tried to take it a step further. So it wasn't just a misery dump, because you're right, a lot of people want to write their story, have experienced something tragic. But for a memoir to really resonate with other people, you have to have that lens of time to step back, analyze what happened. But then it's the reflections on not just what happened. But what did you do with it? How did you transform your life? How are you a different person going forward? And how can someone reading your story who is not in your situation still draw, you know, some life lessons or encouragement from your book? So that's kind of the whole process.
0: Yes, that I feel you, it was very well written. Um, I had very few notes. Um, you know, as, as a beta reader, you read it through um, that app. And as you read, you know, you were able to change a word or add it on a sentence. And, you know, at the end of the chapter, and occasionally, I would say something, but it was it didn't need any help you had taken it where i think because it was so profound from your life it you know it just it was very readable and a, a just an easy read and you know. oh
1: thank you Yeah, again,
0: you're brave. And that I do feel like even if you're not in the wine world, you could still learn from it. So it's Yeah, well, the the best
1: reviews or the strongest reviews have come from teetotalers, people who don't have anything to do with alcohol, let alone wine. Mm -hmm. And and that has been so encouraging, too, because it really, even though it's set in the wine world, it's not a wine book. There are a few bits and pieces along the way, you learn some things about wine that might be interesting. Mm -hmm. um, But it's not like a typical wine book at all. Well, and I
0: think because you said, and then I drank too much, and it's because you drink wine and you you're a wine critic and a wine reviewer, and you know, your life is revolved around wine, and so that's what you were drinking. And so that's that's where it comes in. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, so let's tell everyone your love of wine. When and where and how did that happen in your lifetime?
1: Well, you know, I didn't start drinking until after graduate school. Um, I met my then husband or future husband now ex-husband um at at the mba it's confusing isn't it um so we <laughs> met while we were both doing the mba and um my first book uh was called red white and drunk all over and which i read about 15 15- uh,
0: 17 years ago. I remember that. Yeah, one.
1: yeah, yeah. It it did really well. It became a bestseller as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was really about my first experiences with wine. And I took the day in the life approach. So I became a sommelier for a day and I worked in a wine shop and I har- helped with the harvest all to the end of really sharing tips within stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, how do you order a wine from a restaurant list? How do you buy the best wine in the liquor store? What does it take to make great wine? But they're all wrapped up in stories. In any case, in that book, which I'd like to just quote briefly from right now, I um, talk about my 1st the taste of my first great wine. Oh, I'd love it. Okay, cool. So here we go. As I raised the glass to my lips, I stopped. The aroma of the wine rushed out to meet me, and all the smells I had ever known fell away. I didn't know how to describe it, but I knew how it made me feel. I moistened my lips with the wine and drank it slowly, letting it coat my tongue and slide from one side of my mouth to the other. The Brunello trickled down my throat and out along a thousand fault lines in my body, dissolving them. My second glass tasted like a sigh at the end of a long day, a gathering in and a letting go, and I felt the fingers of alcoholic warmth relax the muscles at the back of my jaw and curl under my ears. The wine flushed warmth up into my cheeks, down through my shoulders and across my thighs. My mind was as calm as a black ocean. The wine gently stirred the silt of memories along the bottom, helping to recall childhood moments of wordless abandon. I still yearn for that first taste again.
0: I love it. I remember reading that. Um, I resonate with that because I'm in the wine in the wine business as well. And um, when I was dating my husband to be, we had gone to Napa on our um, on an on a trip with some friends from school. And we went to we were going to some of the bigger wineries. And then we ended up just stopping at a small mom and pop. And when we were there, it was Like 1992 or 91. And it was a $35 bottle of red wine. And I don't remember if it was a Merlot or what it was. Um, I do believe it was Merlot, but I'm not sure. And I remember when we tasted it, the silkiness and the smooth and just everything about it just resonated. And um, when we left, I said, We'll take two of those. And my boyfriend was like, What are you doing? And I'm like, We're not leaving without that. So, um, with the two that we bought, Um, so that was like in May, and then the next year in August we opened one of them for my birthday, and we were uh, with the same friends and drank it again and and lived it, and then that Christmas we gave the other one to my mom, and that winery's not not there anymore because we went back a few years later and I was like I want to go back and get more, and it had already closed, and so I remember that I wish that I had more, I wished I was smarter at the time to have written tasting notes so that I could do what you just did and, but I'll never forget it. It's when um, our, I believe part of when our wine journey started was that elevation of that great bottle of wine compared to just an average bottle of wine.
1: Absolutely. And wine, the smell of wine and the (laughs) taste, but more so the smell is tied so directly to memory and emotion. I think that's why, you know, if we ever taste or smell the same wine again, we're right back in the first place where we had it, you know. I, uh, my partner thinks I'm some sort of wine savant, but I'm not. Um, but I'll taste a wine and I'll remember where I was the first time I tried it, what I was wearing, who I was with, what we were eating, all of the details, because smell is the only sense that ties directly to that area in the brain for memory and emotion.
0: Yes, when I made wine, I um, I just said this in a podcast last week. Um, I did a a interview and it was in a winery, and you know it it smelled like fermentation. And you know when you've been in a winery and you smell that, it's just oh, it just smells like fall. And for me, I love it. And then when you're pressing red wine, there's aromatics that go through, and Pinot Noir, whenever I pressed it, I was like, I'd always say, oh my God, I want to bottle this into a perfume. And, you know, of course, never had, but I'm like, I still want to do that. Like, it, it's just the aromatics that come from it are amazing, and it it takes me back. It doesn't matter what winery you're standing in, that is still those aromas that that bring you back to
1: all those wonderful memories. Absolutely.
0: So if you could be a wine, what uh, wine would you be?
1: <laughs> well, speaking of Pinot Noir, um, <laughs> I probably would go with that one. Um, to me, as you know, uh, Robin, it's called the Heartbreak Grape. And it's my favorite go-to wine because it's bursting with flavor, as you say, but low in oak, alcohol, and tannin. So you don't you know, end up falling asleep at 7 p.m. on the sofa after a-, a glass or two. But it also has this um, sort of edgy, nervy acidity that makes it so vibrant, almost like it's on the edge of a nervous collapse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I like that in wine and people because they're far more interesting than those who are more stable, like mm-hmm. Cabernet. <laughs> and so, you know, if, it's, if I was at a party, I'd go right over to the Pinot Noir and st- start talking uh, the Pinot Noir up. Leave Cabernet in the corner, but Pinot Noir, as you know too, is highly susceptible to mold and mildew, and it seems to me voices above a a whisper in the vineyard. So it's finicky and it's difficult to grow and maintain, and that makes it expensive. But I think it's, you know, when it's good, it's sublime, and when it's bad, it's terrible, it's horrid, it's unripe. But that's the thrill of it too, because. You sometimes never know what you're going to get, and you know I compare uh, Pinot Noir, or it brings to mind a quote from Philip Roth, the novelist, who's had so many successful bestsellers over the years. Someone asked him, "Well, you must be used to, you know, all of the reviews. You must have developed a thicker skin now about writing and so on." And he said, "Well, no, actually, uh, my skin has has actually got thinner and thinner over the years, and now you know they could probably hold me up to the light and see right through me." And I love that because it's not about developing a thicker skin in response to life's trauma. It's it's about keeping your skin thin enough to let the love in. And mm. I think that's what Pinot Noir does. It has all these aromatics, it lets it all in and all out for the drinker. Um yes. so I love the comparison. It's
0: a very approachable wine. It's you know, I used to say Merlot was the beginning red wine and um that was back in the day, but I, I believe Pinot Noir is the entry wine to red wine. Cause you know, some people are like, Oh no, I only drink white wine. And they're like, no, I don't do red wine. And I'm like, well, just, why don't you try like a new world style Pinot because mm-hmm. it's more fresh ripe fruit when old world is more not that it's the opposite. And so, you know, it's very approachable and that uh, it's, an easy go-to in I it's when I love every wine it's if somebody <laughs> if I just asked myself what wine would I be it would be Chardonnay and ah. it's I I um I've just always resonated with Chardonnay it's always just that wine for me And you know I have conversations I also operate wine tours and I have people say yeah no I'm not doing Chardonnay and I'm like okay that will I'll make sure that I because I ask them what wines do they want to focus on And then when we're in the car, I always say, so why not the Chardonnay? And then I talk to them, and then I tell them all the things that I know. And sometimes it changes their mind. Sure. And and Chardonnay
1: has such a wide range. I mean, you can get a full-bodied, buttery, oaky Chardonnay all the way to the other end of the style spectrum of no oak, zesty, steely, edgy, you know, really zippy. Um, So Chardonnay, it's almost like saying, "I, I don't like the color blue, you know, there's so such a range of shades. I mean, you know, I think you can find one shade that you might like.
0: Yes, I agree. I totally agree. So now that you've done this, where where does your journey take you um, after the promotion of this book? Are you have another one in mind? Or what what are your plans for 2024?
1: I'll continue to teach my online wine and food pairing classes. Uh, at nataliemcclain.com or winewitchonfire.com, whichever is easier for you to remember. I'm going to continue with my own podcast, Unreserved Wine Talk. I love interviewing people uh, just as you do, Robin, in the world of wine. And then I'm still working on promoting Wine Witch on Fire because it's, it's really had a lot of resonance with people, both inside the wine industry and externally. Book clubs have really caught on to this book because um, it really raises a lot of issues that spark discussion among friends or book club members or wine groups. And I've created a free companion guide for the book that has discussion questions, tastings on, or sorry, tips on in organizing an informal wine tasting with your friends and so on. That's also at winewitchonfire.com. Um, but yes, I am thinking of ideas for new books, but uh, I don't have anything solid yet to share because it's still in formation mode. But um, I am thinking definitely of another one.
0: Yeah, I can definitely say your website is very informative. And for anybody who wants to learn more, that it's laid out very easily to where you just the the topic and the subtopics, and that there's so many opportunities to learn that you just start searching and. Be able to find what you're looking for. It's you are a wealth of knowledge and you. can definitely
1: educate people in the wine world. Well, I try to offer lots of like, well, wine reviews. I do like thousands of wine reviews every year from wines all over the planet. Um, I've got some wine and food uh, pairing tools, so you can input a wine and get a, some pairing suggestions. You can input a food and get wine specific suggestions course, there's the blog, um, videos and the courses.
0: Yes, that when, like I said earlier, when I grow up, I want to be like you. I have some <laughs> of that myself on my website, but that I'm
1: a small fish and Aww. you're a big fish. So, Robin, you you're definitely- doing a great job with this podcast and everything else you do. It's just um, the
0: beginning, yeah. and uh, I love it. I I'm very grateful that you were able to come on today. Did you want to read another excerpt from your book to finish everything off? Ah, uh, sure, I can
1: go to the last chapter
0: because I like happy endings. Yeah, awesome! I love it. You're so
1: positive. That's the other thing <laughs> that I love about you is your positivity. Well, thank you. So this is con- uh, this title is "When the Hurly Burly's Done, When the Battle's Lost and Won" because all of the. Uh, chapter titles have witchy references to them. Mm -hmm. So here we go. It's just before midnight um, on December 31st. Daniel, that's my partner, stirs the beef bourguignon on the stove as the savory aroma fills the kitchen. I'm warmed by his smile. He talks about our plans for a winter vacation. It's only been a year since the meltdown online, but it feels like a decade ago. I finally realized that vulnerability is the only defense. Little Miss Perfect can't control what others think of her, only what she tells them. So why not tell them lots without editing out the nasty bits? That's how I connect with others now, not through perfection, but through sharing my flossom tendencies, which they see in themselves. In 2012, I felt like a witch in all the worst ways, outcast, despised, scorned, hunted, but I'm not equating my experience with the horrors that women faced in the 17th and 18th century. Rather, their stories rekindled my desire to call out the sexism and misogyny that still drives, unfair, sometimes cruel treatment of women today. The methods are far more subtle, but the results can be as devastating. I've also come to realize that fire can be a good thing when it illuminates darkness and shame, when it burns away the parts of you you no longer need, allowing you to rise from your own ashes. I'm on fire now, no longer af- afraid of my own fury and I'll never stop burning. Um so then I'll just skip right to the end and my family is just sitting around we're eating um dinner on this new year's eve and I recall a song I don't know if you recall that Helen Reddy song I Am Woman. Mm, um I love the twist on it. I am woman, watch me poor. Um, but she, mom says, do you remember that song? And I smile and then Daniel pipes up. I remember it. He says, even I feel like a strong, invincible woman after hearing it 1700 times because I was playing it all the time. He grins. And I'm still a man. It was a long, long way to go. Cameron, my son, rolls his eyes, but he knows that golden oldie because it became my anthem after my divorce. I played it at full volume over and over on the stereo. We all belted out together. My voice is on fire.
0: I love it. And there's this grill is on fire. There's a sauce. Yes. 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 I, I want to
1: create a playlist of all of that. Those. I love uh, it.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Those yeah. kind and of songs. Do a wine tasting and then pick the wines that go with it. And it's exactly. A wine- it's a wine pairing with the fire songs. I love it. Yes. I, I, I can see it building already. <laughs> what a great way to end. I want to thank you very much
1: for being on the show. Well, thank you, Rob. And I really I thoroughly enjoyed this. We have to uh, have a glass of wine in person sometime.
0: I know. I agree. that. Um, do you have any plans to come to California or anywhere on, on the West Coast?
1: Not right now, but of course, that's a popular destination for we wine writers. So I'm sure it will be in the future. And I definitely will let you know.
0: Yeah, we have some, you know, where I'm in Santa Maria, California, which is a smaller community, but right outside of it is San Luis Obispo, Santa Barbara. We're about two and a half hours from Los Angeles and then about uh, three and a half, four hours from San Francisco. So hopefully that if you if there's anything, I'll bring a
1: carload of people up to see you. (laughs) Thank you. That's great. You've been such a huge support, Robin. I really appreciate all your support for this book, from being a beta reader to this interview and everything in between. So thank you. welcome.
0: Yeah, I appreciate you allowing me the opportunity. Thank you. All right. Cheers. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please follow Provisions and Libations wherever you listen to podcasts. I will be back next week with an all-new episode. I am your host, Robin Bogue. You can learn about me on my website, be drink and be merry dot online or my LinkedIn profile, Robin Bogue. I look forward to entertaining you, informing you, and enlightening you with the perfect accommodations for connoisseurs of provisions and libations with an Epicurean flair. But first, let's eat and drink.